Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hello, and welcome to another episode of I Weigh with Jamila Jamil. I, um, I hope you're doing better than I am. I have just been in the back of an Uber for 25 minutes and that is a situation in which you cannot, uh, for the sake of your own health and the sake of the driver's health, take off your mask. And it was only about five minutes into the um, the Uber ride that I was like, fucking hell, this, really, this car really stinks of piss, really stinks of piss. So I opened my window and just for a second lowered my mask for a split second and then realised the car doesn't stink of piss. It's actually my mask, which means that I can only deduce that my six-month-old puppy has done a uh, done some marking. He's marked my mask because uh, he wants me it, you know, he wants me to think of him. He wants to to re- remind me of him at all times. And so I um I spent 25 minutes honestly I feel high. I've just been breathing in um breathing in puppy piss. So if any of you uh, out there are annoyed with me for anything I've, I've done recently or in the past, um, you can feel satisfied that I'm being punished. <laughs> this is karma for something that I've done. Uh, maybe just not even giving him enough treats. So yeah, that's what's going on. Just domestic bliss, uh, me and my dog and, uh, and not much else to report. I think I've calmed down slightly from last week's um, slight kind of moment of meltdown, which I don't feel ashamed of. I think it's important. Sometimes we need to break all the way down to build ourselves back up, um, maybe with a clearer perspective. But I'm definitely feeling... Um, I'm definitely feeling slightly sturdier. I think my rage is back, which is always a healthier place for me to exist rather than um, feeling despondent or just kind of helpless. Uh, I, yeah, I'm, I guess it's a, I'm on, I'm back on the roller coaster of how our emotions are, you know, supposed to feel given this world that we live in. But I thank you for all the wonderful messages of support uh, from my intro on last week's episode before uh, Busy Phillips. You were so kind and you made me feel so much less alone. And I read so many of your messages, more than probably as healthy, um, but I just adore you and I learn so much from you. And so I love the fact that after these episodes, you interact with me and you interact with my guests and they always always call me to say how much they appreciate what a thoughtful and kind audience I have so thank you so much I am endlessly proud of this community that we're building together um so I uh I am excited to bring you today's guest I am I think I'm madly in love with her uh she is so cool and so special I found her on Instagram by just typing in sex therapist because I was looking for someone to come on and just have a, a no punches pulled conversation with me about sex and love, um, someone from a professional background. And I found her and she is this incredible sex and relationship counsellor. And she is 
a young woman. She's young to have such a busy practice. She's very, very busy and difficult to get hold of because she's so popular. And she is also a young black woman and she identifies as queer. And so therefore comes at at this conversation from an angle in which we rarely see, especially in the mainstream, we often see older white predominantly men, uh, straight men. So this was just oh, she's just a joy and she's got the best voice and the best perspective and she's so open and makes it impossible for you to feel any kind of awkwardness or shame around any of sometimes the hardest conversations. And what I did is before this episode, I put out a post to all of you saying, I'm talking to this woman. What do you most want to know? And you flooded my inbox and my comment section with requests. And I asked her as many of your questions as I possibly could. And she answered so many of them. I'm going to have to get her back because there's still more to cover. Before I get into the episode, I just want to give you a trigger warning that we do talk about, you know, the impact of sex or a relationship after sexual trauma. And so if you are someone who is perhaps sensitive around that subject, maybe give this one a miss. Um, But for those of you who are ready to hear that or have that conversation, she talks about it again in a way that is just so loving and supportive and, and informative. So please enjoy one of my favorite human beings I've ever come across as an adult truly I just I, I'm obsessed I'm the the founder of her fan club uh, this is the excellent Shadeen Francis Good Lord, I have so much to talk to Shadeen Francis about. Shadeen, welcome to I Weigh. How are you? Hi, I'm great. How are you? I'm good. Would you kindly tell my audience what it is that you do? So I am a licensed marriage and family therapist that specializes in sex therapy. So at its simplest, uh, I really help people live lives of peace and pleasure, right? I want people to feel well in their relationships, including their sexual relationships. Wonderful. Okay. So we're just going to have to get straight into it because when I posted yesterday on Instagram that I was going to be talking to you and I asked people if they had any questions, I have truly maybe never had more comments on a post before or more incredibly personal and meaningful DMs. It was wild. I think I was on my phone for about 10 hours yesterday, sifting through, finding out which were the most kind of common themes that we could go through. And so frankly, I've I've got no time to get to know you, Shadeen. And also we're friends. (laughs) (laughs) I can vouch for her. She's a wonderful, incredible woman, a life-changing human being who I'm so excited to know and to work with. Um, And the reason... And the reason I know Shadeen is because I found her on the gram when I was looking for a relatable and warm and interesting and just divine therapist to start to introduce to the Iway community to talk about these sometimes stigmatized subjects. And so I reached out to you, what, in like January? And maybe. Yeah, we maybe. met in February and we filmed something together for the iWay YouTube channel. And since then, you have become a staple love of the iWay community. They have sent very personal questions in and we're just going to go through them. I'm not going to read anyone's specific questions because I think a lot of people had anxiety around their other partner or their friends maybe recognizing their story. Mm-hmm. So we're just going to go for kind of vague themes. And I'm going to throw them at you right now. (laughs) 
Yeah, I'm, I'm ready. I'll, I'll catch them, I promise. Okay, so you have been working throughout lockdown, right? I have. And can I ask you what some of the most common themes you have come up with, with people coming to talk to you <sighs> around their relationships in lockdown? Because from what I'm seeing from my friends, a lot of people, some people have come closer together. Some people have met someone during lockdown and are falling in love in this, just this sort of weird dystopia, but also kind of utopic amount of time to have together. Yeah. But a lot of the long-term couples, especially those with kids, are just they're at their kind of wit's end with each other and there are so many issues starting to surface for the first time ever. And so are you seeing that in your practice? Yeah, right. The stresses are so high. And I think a lot of people are really surprised that like this isn't the sexiest time of their life. Mm -hmm. right? I think most people just sort of operate under the default assumption like, oh, if we spent more time together you know, then we would be having more sex. It would be more passionate. We'd be like getting along. We'd be super besties or whatever. And I think a lot of people have really found ways um, in sort of the structure of their lives to come together, right? That I'm noticing, especially, you know, to now I've been quarantined for six months um, or sheltered in place rather for the last six months. Um, and so, yeah, you know, a lot of people have found ways to like acclimate and really find, um, a way to like collaborate really well with their partner, right? Figure out some things logistically, but it's still really hard for a lot of folks to feel sexual in this time, mm. right? And that comes up over and over and over again. That's probably sort of the primary um, stress or concern that I'm hearing around sex right now from folks is like, why am I not more into this? Why am I not more excited uh, about sex right now? And then the other one is just a lot of people trying to figure out how do I keep things sort of connected um, or intimate or erotic if now I'm suddenly apart from my partner, right? So kind of two, two sides of the spectrum, people who are kind of trapped together, really not feeling a lot of sexual chemistry or sexual energy. And then people who maybe are farther apart who are saying, how do we, you know, find each other there too? And you've kind of straddled both of those lines um, because you have mm -hmm. yourself been in a long-term, long-distance relationship and also now you are you've gone from that dynamic uh seeing each other at very kind of structured points throughout the year to suddenly being on top of each other for months on end so I'm sure you've got your own personal insight into how to <laughs> shift and manage those dynamics um I think it's really important to talk about that because I I did get the sense from all of the messages that each person who wrote to me felt as though they were the only person going through that, which is, I think, the point of this podcast, but also the point of this episode to make people realise how normal all of these issues and thoughts are and how not alone you are. I cannot tell you how many common threads there were, um, including a ton of messages from people who were still virgins at or in their 30s. You know, I, I wanted to be able to tell each one of those people who messaged me that there are so many other people saying the exact same thing and people who are asexual or people who are survivors of assault who now are carrying that into their current day relationships. You are so, so not alone. And we're going to get into all of those subjects together today in a way that helps you understand that this is not, there is not something wrong with you. You're just humaning and, and that's great. Yeah. And we're all humaning and, you know, Shadeen and I will do our best to, to bridge that gap. Um, okay. So talk to me first and foremost about how to argue in a healthy way. 
so many people <laughs> would like to know how to fight in a way that will not end up in any kind of prison sentence. Uh, right. Because, you know, I think suddenly we are being confronted with all of the things that all these habits that we didn't know about our partners. Like, I, I don't think that my boyfriend knew that if given the opportunity, I would not change my T-shirt for six months. And he had to stage an intervention. <laughs> <laughs> he had to sit me down and just like ask me if I was OK and if I had yeah. any intention of changing at any point before next year. Um, <laughs> so it wasn't a big fight. I was very uh -huh. defensive, but, you know, he's seen my kind of inner teenage sloth. I feel like my inner teenager has fully resurfaced during this time. Yeah. I just don't give a fuck. <laughs> and, and I really enjoy that. It's like a kind of rebellion against so much time of just being expected to be presentable and professional and an adult. Mm -hmm. I think I've just kind of rejected all of it. And so, you know, I think a lot of people are realising how messy their other half is or how disorganised or how they are shit at uh, housework, housekeeping, yeah. cleaning and all of that. Um, and so how does one approach, and especially in a situation where you can't, if things were to go a bit wrong and get a bit salty you can't just go somewhere else or you can't even necessarily even go for a big long walk in some cities yeah what's your advice for learning how to approach an argument mm -hmm. especially during this time I think it's really important for people to remember like this is not normal life mm -hmm. right like this is not how we are meant to live Right. That like the happily ever after story for most people isn't. And then you are trapped in a house together nonstop for six months and you cannot go anywhere or see anyone or touch anything. Right. Like that's that's not that's that's not the life that you probably signed up for. Uh, and so, yeah, when we are constricted and we are restricted, it can absolutely make us feel more tense. We are more edgy. We have less patience. A lot of us are scared. A lot of us are stressed. A lot of us are bored. Mm -hmm. A lot of us are annoyed, right? I'm a big introvert. As much as I love people, I also love being by myself for like hours and hours and hours at a time. Um, and so to be, you know, in a home for anyone who just needs more space, whether you're an introvert or not, and to not necessarily have free access to that can be really, really challenging. Mm -hmm. um, and I think a thing that your partner did really well um, with something that might have been concerning or frustrating for mm -hmm. him was to be curious about it, right? Like asking, like, so, so about this t-shirt, Yeah, <laughs> you know, what's, what's going on? It's covered in food. Like I am always covered yeah. in food and <laughs> it looks like I've just been freshly jizzed on, but I haven't. Mm -hmm. It's just yogurt. Yeah. Anyway, as yeah, you were saying. Yeah. I would imagine, I would imagine he would have some questions yeah. about that. Nobody like, asked did, for well, that how detail. Did that <laughs> um, but as you were, yes, he, he asked about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is, this is a space where we can talk about safe details. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So really, <laughs> I'm glad you feel comfortable enough to share that. Hey. Uh, yeah. And so being able to lead with, you know, what is actually, like, what are you interested in knowing? Right. Because if we come out the gate, like, take off that effing t-shirt. Like that's not, that's not a conversation. No. That's not a conversation. And so I think whenever we're noticing that we're feeling frustrated first, even checking in with ourselves around like, okay, what is the feeling, right? What's the emotional place that I'm coming from in this conversation? Mm -hmm. Right. And just state that, right? Like I'm feeling, and then insert feeling word in blank. Do not use words like 
like, or I'm feeling that, right? Then we're cheating. If you're going to say, I am feeling, follow with an emotion word. I'm feeling disappointed. I'm feeling scared. I'm feeling concerned. I'm feeling jealous. I'm feeling whatever insecure overburdened however that may be yeah I talk a lot whatever it is I talk a lot about Marshall Rosenberg who completely transformed Mm -hmm. my relationship and probably my entire life where non-violent communication exactly non-violent communication and I really really strongly suggest that people out there uh, go and investigate this I mean he has some very wacky tactics of teaching his (laughs) methods really hilarious yeah but he he is trying to make sure that we we I guess, inspire empathy in the person that we are talking to or complaining to. We're talking about something difficult too. He's trying to make sure that we don't go in with, you're doing this. We don't immediately put up their defences, which makes it so hard for them to hear us. He believes in making sure that we say, I feel this. What you are doing is making me feel this or it's having this impact on me. You make it about yourself in a way that forces them kind of to try to empathise with you. It puts them immediately in your shoes rather than them feeling like all of the lasers are pointing at them. And so, yeah, it just makes a lot more space. Yeah. Right. It makes a lot more space for people to actually hear what you're trying to communicate. Okay. So, give me a specific one like, okay, so not to use horrendous gender stereotypes, but let's say a man is not doing the housework and you would like mm. his girlfriend to be able to approach him about that or indeed his boyfriend or non-binary lover. Yeah. So these are two people who are in a relationship and one person is not sort of doing their fair share of the work. Um, and we're going to assume for this scenario that they've both been clear about what their expectations are for how the work is divided and that they've actively agreed on doing that. That if we were to take like the nonviolent communication framework, which I actually really love. And so I absolutely recommend people to look further into, as you said, but back to the scenario, right? Starting off by saying, okay, like, what are we talking about first and foremost? So when I notice that the house is messy or when the dishes go unwashed or when we don't divide up chores evenly, you know, when the dishes stay in the sink overnight, whatever it is that's actually sort of getting you in the moment. I feel, insert feeling, maybe you're disappointed. That's often what happens when we're not sharing labor well, right? I feel disappointed. You feel undervalued. Maybe you're taken advantage of, yeah, taken for granted. Right. And some, some of those, some of those Um, our judgments, right? Because we're assuming what the other person is thinking, right? I am thinking that you don't value me, right? And so we can actually take that one step deeper. How does that make you feel to think that, right? So even as I, you know, we might say, I feel, you know, undervalued, but what does undervalued or believing that your partner doesn't value you make you feel, Mm. right? I really try and encourage people to drop right down kind of as deep into the core as we might get, right? To find that like emotion word, like that emotion word, because that's easier to connect with. Because if I say I feel undervalued, then your partner's response is going to be to try and prove that they don't undervalue you to prove that they do value you but that's not actually getting to like but I feel sad I feel scared I feel hurt right we're still kind of too cerebral so when the dishes stay in the sink overnight even though we've agreed that you know that you do them at the end of dinner um, I, I feel really disappointed because 
it's important to me that we live in a place that's tidy that we both contribute to, right? And so we say kind of what what the significance of this conversation is, because any disagreement that we're having could just really be stuff, but it, it always represents something deeper. That's why we can have like really heated, intense arguments about like tr- trivial things, right? Yeah, I agree. Like I, the dishes. Yeah, and I really think it's important to utilize this moment of somewhat stillness, you know, for those of us who are still in lockdown. Also, there's a strong chance we might be going into a second wave at the end of the mm-hmm. year. Try not to run too far away from what might come up because plenty of things have been surfacing for a lot of people this year about their partners, about their lack of partners, about themselves. And I think that you would do yourself a great service to take advantage of that moment and lean into the difficult, awkward conversations, which are just so much less difficult when you approach them carefully and you try to like sit with yourself first, maybe even write it down. How angry you are so you can look at it first and analyse like how much of this is me and how much of this is them or us. And right. so, you know, utilize this moment. Um, and, and what is it about, right? Indeed. What is it about? And then I like people to add, end with a request, right? It's like, if we just give the feedback, people don't really know what to do with it, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I hear you're having a feeling, but sort of then what, right? What, what we actually are wanting is change. And yeah. so can we be clear about what change that we would like? And can we ask for that? Yeah. I used to be incredibly immature uh, around relationships when I was much younger and that I would tell them how I felt, maybe. (laughs) But when I did tell them how I felt, I would want them to take the initiative of meeting all of my needs, which, you know, you can understand kind of logically, but really I'm expecting them to be psychic and I'm Mm -hmm. expecting them to figure out and I'm considering that an act of love, whereas actually now I've thought about what my act of love is, which is just giving them the clear fucking instructions. Mm-hmm. to just at least try yeah. to do something that would make me happier. And I now communicate only in that way. And I ask people to communicate that way with me, which is just tell me what you fucking want. Life is difficult, yeah. all right? I've got to figure out what to watch on Netflix. I've got to figure out how to change the fucking T-shirt. I've got to do the dishes. <laughs> just tell me what you want. And I think if we were to do that instead of these kind of weird passive aggressive tests that we maybe learn when we're younger, life is so much simpler. Okay, we have to move on because so many things to cover. Yeah. So mismatched libido the number one thing that came up truly in every single thread that i found that is the thing that most people are struggling with and it's it has all these kind of interesting sub layers as well where a lot of people are finding in lockdown you know they're no longer passing like like ships like passing ships in the night they're no longer uh being able to kind of blame the fact that they're not sleeping together as much on work or on life or on kids or this that and the other so they are finding most awkwardly that they are more hyper aware of how maybe little they are having sex or maybe how mismatched that desire for sex is. And on top of that, there is an overwhelming amount of women who have been saying to me that they feel embarrassed about wanting more sex than their male partner because we have been conditioned to believe that men have higher libidos and therefore there is something wrong with these women for wanting more sex than a man. And also they're feeling extra rejected because we're we're programmed to think that men just want sex all day, every day. And so therefore, if their partner doesn't want sex with them constantly during lockdown, they're also feeling rejected. So I've thrown 700,000 things at you. Go. Cool. All right. So let's start with... Mismatched. How, yeah. How, wait, how nerdy can I get? 
I'm, I, I would love for you to nerd all the way out, please. Okay, Thank cool. You. So let's so let's start a little bit with the physiology of desire, right? That when we think about how we are hardwired, we are wired first for survival, right? So like stay alive. Uh, and then next for connection. If you think of something like if anyone's familiar with like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you can kind of see that on the pyramid. We start with our sort of primary foundational needs like food, shelter, right, safety. And then we move into layers and layers and layers of connection. And so what happens to our bodies when we are under stress is that we go right back down to the beginning to take care of those basic survival needs. Mm. And this is a very stressful time. People are trying to figure out how to homeschool their kids. People are trying to figure out what stores they can go to to get groceries, you know, with minimal exposure. People are unemployed, underemployed, right? Trying to make plans and we have no idea kind of what's going to happen next. So it's a very stressful time. So our bodies are not in a state where we are very primed to just be like, like this isn't sexy for most people, mm. right? To, to be worried and stressed out. And what our bodies do when we are under stress is that we start to sort of shift. Like, yes, it's a, it's a kind of arousal, but we're probably outside of kind of our, our window of arousal that actually can allow us to connect to other people. So we yeah. either start shutting down um, or we're sort of so, you know, our bodies are just so tight and so tense that we're not relaxed enough to be in that nice sort of flow around sex. Mm -hmm. And so it's important for people to even just to know that, to know that like, there's nothing wrong with me. My body is working the way it is supposed to, right? I'm supposed to stay alive (laughs) in order to be able to then be available for sexual connections to myself and or sexual connections to other people. You once said to me that you, you gave me this wonderful analogy when we were talking once in a different yeah. interview. Will you give me your appetite analogy just to further yeah. reassure people? Sure. Yeah. And so that transitions into us recognizing, or I hope that we can also recognize that some of this is also cultural, right? And so we put a lot of stress and pressure on people being the same in relationships in all of these really odd ways. Um, we aren't expected to like need as much sleep as each other. And the the example that I shared earlier is about appetite and hunger, right? That we, we're not expected to like want to eat at the same time or eat as much as each other. And that's not like a deep relational crisis, right? And so if I'm hungry at a time when you're not hungry and you invite me to a meal and I'm like, mm, no, thank you. You're not like, oh, you hate me now. And I'm obviously just like ugly and undesirable and like mm. not interesting, right? But when it comes to sex, all of a sudden it's personal, right? The things that are happening in your body, in your mind, in your desire, in your availability somehow are like a direct message of me. Or maybe I might turn it around and shame you. Well, like you haven't eaten since like this morning. Like, why aren't you hungry yet? Like everybody else has dinner at least seven days a week. And yet here you are only wanting it like six like, that's really weird. You should get that looked at. Yeah. And like, we, we don't do that. Some I'm sure someone is, uh, you know, dealing with that. And so I have empathy for that experience. Please leave them. Um, but, th- like, that's not an experience that, that we're accustomed to, where people are shaming us for our other drives and desires. I agree. I uh, When you and I were talking about it last, about this, like, shift in appetite, I was saying that if your partner is hungry when you are not, 
then perhaps they could take themselves to the bathroom and have a little snack by themselves. Or you could feed them a bit of their snack, meaning you can (laughs) wank them off. Um, And so I think that that's also something that really has to become acceptable. And I think we get a lot of this programming from film and from TV Uh because we never Uh see these moments. I mean, not only do we never even see the condom moment, but we never see someone just being like, oh, you know what? I'm actually not in the mood, but I'll I'll wank you off or uh, or I'm going to go to bed now and you just do you. In fact, in the rare incidences where we've seen someone maybe just wanking while the other person's asleep in the film or on the TV, that person wakes up and is horrib- like horrified. Yeah. As if you've been caught doing something absolutely horrific rather than just, you know, scratching yeah. an itch, essentially. Yeah. And so I like, do- how dare you eat without me? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And so I think that that's a that's been a like a good part of my growth as a human woman to realize that you know as well as the fact that we don't see a lot of realistic relationship ideals we also don't see a lot of what is realistic about women and our sexuality because everything has come to us through this very like male straight patriarchal gaze of like Mm -hmm. you know for so long I was having sex the way that you know I was almost like looking at porn to how I was supposed to act and move during sex which meant I was so detached from my own actual physicality because I'm essentially putting on a show without realising. And I also used to feel guilty that it would take me a little minute to get ready for sex because in the films yeah. they would burst through the door and the woman already had her wop. She's fully, fully <laughs> a-flowing, clearly. Yeah, yeah. And he's just straight in, one just pump. macaroni in a pot. Yeah, just that's all over exactly. <laughs> so he's, you know, they come in, in you know, but also like they don't, you, you sort of, they come quickly, I guess, but sometimes you see them, you know, you hear talk about someone being able to go for an hour. So I would have the worst UTI if I was constant, I personally was shagging for several hours. I'd, I'd, we'd, we are conditioned to think we are supposed to want that. And then that makes, that creates so much tension for ver- for different genders in different ways. And also I think it has misinformed a lot of young men in our generation mm-hmm. that they don't have to do that much work, that they aren't the ones who have to wear anything particular or, you know, look a certain way, do any kind of preening or make yeah. an effort to make a woman ready for sex. And yeah, so I and think I, that's really, that's been something that's been interesting for me to learn over the last kind of 10 years. Yeah, it, it's, it's a really big educational issue, mm-hmm. right? So often I'll end up teaching med students, right? And unfortunately, like even our doctors get very little sex education, even as a part of their like course training. Like we're looking at sometimes as low as like three hours over the course of medical school. Wow. But you might be looking at eight hours or 32 hours. But if you think of the fact that many people are seeing people in their entire age range, right? Like how deficient that is, how insufficient that is. And so, so much of us get so little information and so little support around any of this. And so how is anyone supposed to know? And so if anyone is learning anything in the course of this conversation, I feel like I've, I've done the work that I've come to do because we get so little information and then we start looking to media for education when we don't do that anywhere else. You don't watch NASCAR to learn to drive. You don't, you know, watch, I don't know, like you don't watch TV to like learn how to live the full entirety of your life. It's entertainment and mm-hmm. sure there's edutainment, but that there always has to be more conversation. There has to be room for questions. There has to be, you know, an intention and an integrity from the source. And room for individuality, 
room to understand that we are all different. We all work different. We all have different triggers, traumas and and habits. Um, So, yes, I think that that's a really important thing is that if you are out there and you are feeling to pleasure yourself because your partner isn't in the mood, do not feel shamed or dirty or even rejected. I think it's a great act of love to sort of take yourself off meet your own needs for a minute. I think it's important for that not to always have to be the case. But I think when someone else isn't in the mood, it's important to never project too much of our like own feelings on rejection um, onto all of those things, especially not at a moment like this. And the thing I I, want to say about discrepant desire, because, um, you know, it's a question that comes up so, so often. Mm -hmm. I want to say first that it is absolutely normal if, if you didn't hear us say that already, right, that you do not need to want sex or anything else at the same time as your partner all of the time it is totally okay, mm-hmm. right, that you want things differently in different ways. And that is in most relationships. And if it hasn't happened already, it will happen over time, mm-hmm. right? And that it's not actually a sexual issue because everyone is tends to personalize it. Right. So like, there's something wrong with me. I want sex too much. I'm a lot of people worry about being like a predator, actually. Right. They feel kind of predatory. Right. So pursuing someone for sex and then getting rejected a lot. It can feel either like I'm unwanted or like I'm harming the other person um, or the other person feels a lot of shame because they're like, why don't I want this more? And it's hard for us to disappoint another person. And so I, I want people to know that this isn't actually a sexual issue. Right. It's a relationship opportunity, right? Because what is actually happening here is it's an invitation for each of you to notice, okay, what is it that I want and need? Can I listen to myself and believe myself and honor what it is that I want and need? Can I hear my partner's requests for what they want and need and Mm -hmm. acknowledge those without feeling pressure to do it just because they want to? Mm -hmm. And... Can, I, can we negotiate for experiences that feel good together? So a mutual snack, maybe you eat without me, right? Do, do I do enough to make sure that my stress levels are like low enough that I can even be receptive, right? And mm-hmm. stress is not sustainable long-term. No. Right? So, so it's, it's more a relational opportunity than like, a, oh, like we're not doing sex right. And another thing that's coming up so often is that, you know, during this time in particular, but I'm sure that this is sort of evergreen, there are there are so many different things that impact our sex lives, you know, so many different things like malnutrition. I know that whenever I was starving myself yeah. the most because I was trying to look fuckable, uh, look more fuckable, I would say, uh, regarding what I thought society standards were, I had my estrogen levels had dropped through the floor. My hormones were all over the place because I was so busy starving myself to try and look more attractive that actually when suitors would line up at the door, uh, which didn't didn't happen actually that often, (laughs) but still occasionally when someone would consider smashing, uh, I uh, I didn't have the energy to. I was not, during the worst years of my eating disorders, I would always go years without even holding someone's hand because I just couldn't be fucked. I was so, literally, I was, I couldn't, I couldn't be bothered. And so I think your food, how you're eating, I think how you're feeling, your depression, uh, maybe that you have during this time or any other time. And also we're going through this like sort of epidemic of body shaming right now where some people are maybe eating a bit more or they're moving a bit less because you can't go outside or maybe you're 
cortisol levels are up, which changes the way that your insulin digests sugar and therefore you are gaining weight even though you haven't changed what you're eating that much. All these things happen. And then because of the pressure on us to look a certain way, in particular women, but I think this goes across gender, um, especially amongst the LGBTQ community, maybe your body's changing. And so there's a part of you that inherently feels guilty about that and feels like you don't want to be naked in front of your partner. That is something that you must not keep to yourself. You have to, because so, so many times I've projected that onto a partner in the past and they've just, when I finally said something after months of avoiding them and coming up with all kinds of excuses as to why I didn't want to be naked in front of them, I just tell them in tears and they'd have no idea what the fuck I was talking about. They hadn't noticed or they were thrilled because my boobs or bum was bigger. (laughs) So it's important to try to, and if you feel like you're in a relationship where you cannot even be that vulnerable, then, then that is another like little conversation maybe you need to have with yourself about that relationship, but give it a shot. Tell someone if you're feeling shy or self-conscious or why you might not be in the mood. I think the worst thing we can do is, is leave someone to their own devices to figure out how we are feeling. Cause I don't know if you agree, but I feel like it's human nature that we always think the worst case scenario. You know, like when someone doesn't text you back, you're never like, oh, it's probably just because they're busy or maybe they just like me too much. It's always that, oh my God, <laughs> they hate me. They don't want to be friends with me. I've been bothering them. They're ghosting me. We just tend to fill the gaps sometimes, I think, with a more negative assumption. Yeah, that's that's definitely a learned pattern. We learn to do that, mm-hmm. right? Because again, we're we're wired for survival first, so that's safety. It would yeah. actually be better for us to assume the worst and be prepared for it than to be surprised by it, right? When we're surprised um, by something that is negative, especially if it's like intense and painful, that's actually trauma, right? That that is what trauma is. It's it's a, a deep, it's an impactful negative experience that you were not prepared for. Oh, that's fucking fascinating. I've never yeah. thought about it like that. That is so interesting to kind of put, to humanize pessimism quite like that. Okay, so we have to keep going. Um, but yes, <laughs> around the mismatch libido. And also, I would love for you to just discuss the the shame women have when they have a bigger yeah. libido than their partner. Yeah, yeah. Um, especially, and we can tie this into body shame too, right? So the only thing less sexy than stress is shame. Mm-hmm. Uh, so shame lives in our bodies and it makes us feel like I am not worthy. I do not deserve. Uh, and so imagine wanting something and then also simultaneously feeling like I do not deserve it. Right. That of course you're not going to get it. And when you get it, you're not going to feel good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we have this like per- self-perpetuating cycle, right? Where I want something and I feel bad about wanting something. And so I'm, I will also find ways to work myself out of it. Mm-hmm. I also find ways to distance myself from it. Mm-hmm. And there won't really be very much reinforcement that anyone could do to support me around really experiencing pleasure. And that's that's what sex is for. Um, yeah, I think that's really important. And, and for women to just stop feeling like there's something wrong with them if they have a higher libido. So many of my female friends feel guilty or like dirty or bad or, you know, they think that there's something wrong with them, that they have some sort of sex addiction just because they have a higher libido than the men they're with. 
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now listen, we all carry around different stresses, big, small, medium size, and a lot of us keep them bottled up because sometimes we just have to. But doing that all of the time can really, really start to negatively impact your life. And I say that from experience. I'm British. We are told to never say how we're feeling about anything ever. And uh, that's why so many of us are so sad. Now, a way that I was able to remedy that was by having therapy, which was super helpful for me, not only because it's amazing to get things off your chest, but also all week, you know, as you're bottling things up, because it's not always the time or place to say exactly how you feel, you know you're going to get that hour where you're able to get everything off your chest and say it exactly as you want to. And this therapist isn't going to take it personally and they're not going to hold it against you or throw it back in your face during an argument over dinner next week. You just have this complete freedom. Honestly, I think everyone should have therapy, regardless of whether they think they need it, because it's so amazing to have a confidant. It's a journal that talks back to you and helps you with all of your problems. I think therapy is just a safe space to get everything off your chest to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, then maybe you should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be super convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and then you can switch therapists if you don't like them anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash iWay today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iWay. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. <laughs> well... Oh yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. I also feel like there isn't that much conversation that I ever got to learn, you know, through mainstream or magazines or school or parents, whatever, obviously, um, about how to handle that moment of rejection how to oh, yeah, no. how to be vulnerable enough to even instigate because i think instigating is a huge issue where some mm-hmm. people are just so afraid of their of the chance that someone will be like oh sorry i'm actually not in the mood and we'll be so mortified by that that even if it happens just once or it's never even happened we will be too afraid to approach sex and i think women have again yeah. an extra shame about initiating sex because they feel like they must always be the hunted they must always be yeah. the prey they must always be the one who is approached um and i was saying on that YouTube interview that we did that, you know, my boyfriend and I just have a sort of system of a gentle sort of tug on the other one's clothes. And then that is a, exactly, we just pull on the sleeve or the, the trouser leg, just a little gentle tug just to let the other one know my light is on. And yeah. the other person then has the opportunity to respond. And if they, if they don't feel like it, they'll just be like, 
oh, now isn't really a good time or I'm not, I'm not ready or I've got something that I need to do. But that to me yeah. just feels like a very friendly way of being able to put yourself out there in a way that doesn't involve like fully just like, I'm not just like whipping my vagina out. <laughs> I'm not saying that anyone <laughs> does that out there, but I'm not just like, woo, you know, I just, it's a little gentle touch. Unless, unless and it's that the works. same message, you know, for sure. Who doesn't love that? But I'm right. just saying that <laughs> it might then feel like you're less, you're making yourself a bit less vulnerable and they're not yeah. then feeling it just, it could be just as a bit of advice. If you are British and awkward as I am, that I find a little gentle tug, not, not of the genitals necessarily, unless you're allowed, but gentle tug of the, of the clothing. Lovely. Yeah. Says everything you, you need know, to I, say. I want to, I want to highlight, you know, the thing, the thing that I often, um, really gently challenge people on yeah. are like how much we work to avoid vulnerability. Yeah. Right. Like we create all sorts of structures mm-hmm. to then avoid having to feel things mm-hmm. when everything good in the world is a feeling, right? Everything worth having in the world creates a feeling, sure. right? Most of the reason we even want sex period mm-hmm. is about how it makes us feel and not just our bodily sensations of the feeling, right? But also for a lot of people, like sex can feel like intimacy. It can feel like closeness. It can Mm -hmm. feel like appreciation. It can feel right. Like all of these like emotional experiences that we actually have to be vulnerable in order to encounter. Right. So we, we just live in this world that um, really teaches us to be afraid to be impacted. Mm. Right. So none of us get any support in dealing with rejection. We have an entire culture that's really organized around keeping us from feeling rejected. And if anyone has ever like done any like online dating, you can see like how intensely we work around that. Right. Like to timing messages, because I don't want to seem, you know, too interested or too available ghosting. Right. Like the ways we do or don't put each other, put ourselves out there. Right. Like we have a culture that keeps us from I'm going to wrap it all into the experience of grief. Right. Anything that brings up a loss, we are so resistant to it because it's uncomfortable. We're, we're not good at being uncomfortable, but that will limit our ability to have really free sexual pleasure. Right? Yeah. If we're feeling really protective around the risk of being vulnerable then we're not actually going to be able to fully experience what it means to be deeply connected, not just to another person, but to ourselves, because we are cheating ourselves in part of the experience. Yeah, I think that's really important. Um, Another thing that came up so much was vaginismus. And that's another thing that women can suffer with and feel such intense shame about and not often tell their partners about. I, I know so many women who have not told someone that they are having, in fact, you know what, as, as more of an expert, obviously than me, um, would you explain what vaginismus is? So vaginismus is an involuntary tightening of the vaginal muscles, right? And it usually is towards like the, um, for most people, it's towards the opening, mm-hmm. right? And so we're looking at a few inches deep towards the actual opening of the vagina, right? But it can actually sort of be kind of anywhere sort of up the vaginal canal. Um, and it can be incredibly painful, right? It's really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. It's usually only experienced around penetration. Um, so 
you might be fine, 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 fine. And then if anything was to try and penetrate you, that there is a tightening. And again, it's, it's involuntary. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the term that, you know, medical professionals might use might be like psychosomatic. And so if that's language that anyone's heard, it just means that, you know, there is a link between mind and body that you might not be aware of. Something is happening in your, in your mind, in your brain. It doesn't mean that this isn't real, but it means that like, I'm not contracting on purpose. It means in the case of vaginismus, it's usually around anxiety, mm-hmm. right? That there is something about this experience in which I don't feel safe. And it might not be about my partner in specific. It might be, you know, a trauma reaction. So something bad has happened. It might be just because it's unfamiliar. So maybe I don't have lots of experience. Right? Maybe I've had an awkward experience, an uncomfortable experience. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm, you know, just really stressed or overwhelmed for some other reason. Yeah. But, but vaginismus is actually incredibly common, um, but wasn't talked about for a really long time because, you know, we sort of brush it over um, with all kinds of, you know, sort of sexist tropes, um, you know, like frigidity was a really common one. Mm-hmm. Right. So like, oh, you're just, you know, frigid woman. Uh, right. Like we, we normalize women's pain. Right. So even like first experiences, we've like normalized that like, oh, the first time is painful. Sex is not supposed to be painful. Right. At all. Even if it's your first experience. And yeah. so just acknowledging that if you are experiencing pain, if the description of vaginismus sounds like you to know that there is support out there. And a lot of it is about being sort of in and in your body in a mindful way, making sure that you are safe and comfortable, like, like feeling safe and comfortable, and then being able to train some of that into your body. And so being able to go really slow with yourself and to allow your body to acclimate to maybe an unfamiliar sensation, right? Cause pen- like, we don't walk around like kind of being penetrated all the time. Um, Speak for yourself, and, <laughs> uh, sorry, I was okay, very, sorry. very liberal in that in that description there, um, right? Couldn't but, be further from you the know, truth. maybe right, maybe a, an unfamiliar you know sensation, or maybe a sensation that had brought pain, yeah, you know, in, in, at some point or another for some reason or another. A hundred percent, and I think again that takes us back to the idea that once more women feel tremendous guilt in expecting someone to take their time in getting them to a place where they feel comfortable to be penetrated. You were welcoming something into your physical space, coming right into the most personal room in your home. And so Mm -hmm. it's okay for someone to kind of earn their way in there, you know, and also an unbelievable amount of us are carrying some sort of trauma. I mean, statistics like you just wouldn't believe. The, the I'd say the third most common thing that came up in all of the threads were just the truly thousands of, of women in particular who came forward with a history of sexual assault. And so for anyone who might be triggered by this conversation, we are going to talk about sex post-assault and how you manoeuvre your sex life um, when working through a trauma. So if that's something you aren't ready for, then this would be the time to probably switch off. Um, But for those who are interested, can you talk to me about how normal it is to have a physical response post a trauma? Yeah, our, our bodies want to protect us. They want to protect us. And so if we are experiencing changes in our sex lives after experiencing a trauma that 
while it might be sort of easy for us to shame or guilt ourselves and feel like something is broken or wrong, I hope that we can have some self-compassion. Like my body is trying to keep me safe. My body is trying to keep me safe. And so sometimes what that means is that maybe we get a little dissociative. Mm-hmm. Right? What does that because mean? the last time I was in, yeah, so I'm, I'm not present. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm, I'm not, I don't feel kind of in my body. Maybe yeah. I sort of feel myself like watching my body or there's kind of like nothing. It's blank. It's fog mm-hmm. or I feel numb. Right. And there, there is an element of that that is intended. Our body's trying to be healing in that. You know, maybe the last time or a significant time before being present, right, wasn't going to be good for us, mm-hmm. right? We, we either, you know, saw some things, we felt some things, we did, we should not have been there. And so our body is, is keeping us safe from that. A hundred percent. Maybe, maybe we are tight and tense. And again, that's us bracing or something. Maybe I'm, my heart is racing. Maybe I just don't really want sex anymore. It doesn't, it doesn't, you know, I I think there's a difference between sort of desire, so like the wanting and then arousal. So like the readiness. Mm-hmm. And so we can have problems in either of those spaces, not just in sexual trauma, but, you know, very commonly in sexual trauma. And so what might happen is that like, I want it ready to go. Like, let's do this. And your body's like, girl, no. Right. Or person. No, right. No, we're not. I don't feel safe. I don't feel ready. So what do you do and in so, that situation when those two are yeah. not married? When, when they're not aligned and it can also go in the opposite direction. Right. So like my body is giving all kinds of signals, but my brain is like, no, 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 no. Yeah. And so first and foremost, just being able to listen to yourself and honor that and to know, okay, I feel like I'm in danger, Mm -hmm. right? We have body memories around danger. I remember as a kid, I touched a light bulb right on a, a lamp that didn't have a shade, um, and burned my hand and I burned it pretty badly. And now I kid you not, this is decades, plural later, if I have to reach under a lampshade to like turn the little switch, I start to sweat, right? I'm, I'm like, fine, I'm not scared, but like my body still remembers, right? We right. Really need to be impacted one good time for our body to be on alert, right? So my body's really invested in keeping me safe from yeah. future burns. And so can we honor that? Can we be in a place where we at the very least, first and foremost, don't add shame on top of on top of a natural healing process and then can we go slow and really practice intention around creating experiences that have more safety and so what would it mean for me to have more safety in this space mm. so if this is about like what is happening on your body how do i invite my body to relax and to feel safer right and does that have to happen alone by myself or can that happen with a partner's support Maybe it's, you know, sort of deep, tight squeezes. Maybe it's hands off. Maybe it's certain smells. Maybe, right, but thinking about like, oh, what can I do literally for my physical senses that might soothe me or sort of if we're feeling kind of numb, like kind of get me back kind of in my body. So temperature can be a good one. Mm. And then around that brain piece, the wanting, right, what gets in the way of me wanting pleasure? Mm -hmm. What gets in the way? And... Either of those, I think it'd be really great for someone to work with someone because it can be hard for us to notice our own obstacles and then strategize around them. And so I invite people to work with a sex therapist in particular um, 
because they're going to be able to bridge the the education kind of strategy piece, but then also the therapy, the very real sort of internal emotional healing mm-hmm. that needs to happen when we've experienced lack of safety. But I want people to know that there is there is life and there is pleasure after we've encountered pain. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. And I also, you know, Shadeen is very hard to get hold of, even just for a friendly phone call because she's so fucking busy (laughs) because so many couples or individuals are going to her with these same issues. And I think because couples feel so much shame around that, they often don't divulge that they are participating in that sort of help for their relationships. But we have doctors for everything else. So why can we not go to a specialist or a, you know, a trainer or whatever who could help us with this incredibly, you know, meaningful part of some of our lives? Not for everyone, but for some people, it's a meaningful part of their life. And so I really want you to know that, that there is nothing wrong with your relationship or nothing bad or nothing to be ashamed of. If you just need a little bit of guidance, like we all arrive with our own separate baggage, our own fight or flight triggers. We, we turn up and we meet this complete stranger and we have these whole backstories that often are so different to one another. It's completely fine. It's so practical, if anything. I feel like we should all have that. Someone to come in and just find a way to bridge all of the many different gaps that we have. So please don't find any shame in that. I think it's incredibly helpful. And, you know, and I I really think what you keep saying about just listen to your body, honour your body is so important. I didn't do that for the longest time. I was... um, I was assaulted uh, sexually as a child and then uh, that stopped me from losing my actual kind of consensual virginity until I was 22 years old because I was so afraid of sex. And I, you know, we got so many messages of girls who'd said that they had been assaulted when they were younger and therefore they have lost their, they haven't lost their virginity yet in their like twenties or thirties. First of all, I want you to know that that is completely normal and that is fine. And that if you've taken a 10 year break from sex or you've never had sex and you are in your thirties, you are, you are not broken. You are not going to forever maybe exist in this way if you don't want to, that there is definitely like hope and recovery for you. But you just take as much time as you damn well need and please just feel immensely proud of yourself, even that you're still here and you're able to acknowledge this stuff and talk about it or even message me, a complete stranger about it. I really, really feel so um, privileged that people feel the safety to share this, but I so want them to know that you are not there's no expectation for what you're supposed to be able to achieve after assault. And so, you know, with me, once I did start having sex, uh, you know, so many years after having been assaulted, it was really, really difficult at times. And because I had no messaging, I had no Shadeen in my life back then, (laughs) where the fuck were you? Um, I would have, yeah, fair, and you were 12. (laughs) Um, So I, uh, I would have sex that was painful to me because I was yeah. incredibly tense and incredibly tight and I felt too embarrassed to tell this person about this terrible thing that had happened to me that wasn't my fault, that I should have carried yeah. zero shame about, but some part of me so silly, I was so silly to think that I was damaged or I was wrong, you know, and so I I would then have this sex that was painful and because I was, you know, too tight and too tense, I would then get, I'd be the much more likely to get a pretty severe UTI because there's been more friction or there's been more tears. And so then I would start to associate sex with UTIs and it made me take years off of sex yeah. after that because I was so traumatised. And so, you know, amongst other things that happened. So I think that 
I ended up just setting myself back so much further for not having just owned my survival and owned my vulnerability and told this person Mm. that was a lovely person who probably would have been fine with me telling and actually would have given me the support and empathy I needed that I denied myself in never telling him. And then I ended up getting hurt and then that gave me a negative association with sex for years. And so like, I just found myself in this downward spiral. And from what I read on Instagram, I can see so many of you are doing the same thing. So we do just need to stop and listen to our bodies. Our bodies are always so much more right than our minds, I feel. Yeah, I like I like folks to, to use them in tandem, right? I think there's wisdom that our bodies have sure. that our minds haven't figured out yeah. yet. I think sometimes our bodies are just like, la, 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 I'm going to do this. And I think some of our sort of, you know. Sort <laughs> so it's of, not always practical, uh, you're right. Fr- fr- frontal lobe, you know, is like, mm, maybe that's not a great idea. But, you know, I, I want to highlight some things, you know, and I, I really appreciate how vulnerable you always are. Um, with folks really sharing, you know, your experiences and your stories, because that's, that's really, really powerful. Um, that as, as much as we will talk about how, what, what we all can do for ourselves, I really feel compelled to name also that we have a larger systemic issue at the same time, right? So lack of education is not like a piecemeal issue that is a mm-hmm. structural, cultural issue, Right. That systems of oppression, right, underlie all of this. Right. We're talking sexism. We're talking racism. We're talking capitalism. So this way that we relegate all of sort of our beingness to like productivity and these external sort of sources of of pleasure and reinforcement. We're talking ableism. Right. So even if I was to say just like be in your body and listen to your body, some of us have bodies that just like hurt a lot, yeah. right? So I'm, I'm a person with chronic pain also, right? Mm-hmm. So like being in my body is not always like a fun, pleasant thing, right? And so I, I need to name as we have these conversations and for anyone who's listening that as you encounter experiences, as you experience pain or trauma, that that's not just about you. And these are not about like personal failings. We also have systems to hold account. And so, yeah, we do the best that we can to take good care of ourselves so that we have enough you know, to extend generously, to take care of each other so that we can all come together and move collectively to dismantle the systems that created the problems in the first place. I know people create systems, but we are we are far enough out that so much of this gets handed down and inherited without us even noticing. And so I think it's important for us to trust our inner wisdom enough to have a place to start. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, you know, for the places where we're saying like this hurts or this doesn't work, that we trust that message that something's not right enough to seek the support of people who know more than us, people who will listen to us and believe us, people who we feel like we can trust and be safe around. And that might take, you know, a little bit of time to, to find, right. I know for queer folks, I know for disabled folks, I know for people of color, we often have to look more for people who, you know, might really take care of us in a way that we can believe in. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have to name, name that here. Um, but I, I want that, for folks. I, I, I deeply, deeply wish that for folks. Yeah, it's beautifully said. And please, please, if you haven't already done it, if you are someone who has, you know, gone through any kind of assault or harassment, anything that have, has made you feel traumatised, please go and seek help as well, just for yourself, because there is there is only good to come from you reaching out for some support through what is what can be a very difficult and scarring and damaging thing. And that there is so much hope for you. I never thought that I would get better. I never thought that I would be able to stop disassociating. I never thought that I would be able to be in the moment or enjoy or 
be able to really participate in or want uh, a sex life. And so, you know, I think that I fully attribute all of the wonderful people that I reached out to, be them friends or be it a therapist. I did, uh, I talk about this every week. I think people think I have shares in EMDR now, but I found personally <laughs> EMDR, eye movement desensitization, reprocessing, very helpful for many things, including being able to stop associating sex with kidney infections, mm-hmm. to stop associating sex with rape or all the different things that can that I was associating it with um, that it can just be what it is so there is hope for you out there want to make mom's day get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day which is Sunday May 12th find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack fragrance jewelry luxury bags activewear beauty and more Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Now, on the flip side of this, Mm. we have a lot of asexual people who receive Mm -hmm. their own immense kind of internalized stigma. And so many reached out to me, numbers that I didn't even expect because I just don't hear about asexuality very much. Mm -hmm. And so that was super illuminating to me and, and something that... I now think about a lot of my friends and I realise maybe that's what they're going through and they just haven't found the name or they're afraid of that title. Will you explain what asexuality means and what it feels like generally? Yeah, generally. Um, so depending on who you ask, right, some of these definitions will vary. So I leave space for communities to speak for themselves. This happens to be a community that I'm not directly a part of. Um, however, asexuality um, most broadly described is an umbrella term to really talk about people who maybe experience little or no sexual attraction Mm -hmm. um, to other people. And so that doesn't mean that they don't want sex, doesn't mean that they don't have sex, doesn't mean they can't have sexual relationships, but that they don't have a a personal connection to some of that sexual desire, that like deep motivation or that sort of pull that says like, ooh, like that, that is the thing that I want right now. But they absolutely still might have a great time having sex. They might still be absolutely receptive or enthusiastic um, around sexual experiences. And so there's enough room in that uh, sort of broad umbrella to give people lots of space to sort of self-define and figure out for themselves, like, okay, like, like, how is it that I feel, right? Maybe I only want sex on like a full moon, or maybe (laughs) I only want sex from, right? Or like, maybe I only want sex, you know, if, um, we've known each other for a really long time and I feel very emotionally uh, invested in you or connected in you. And so that, I'm that, that one. might be another... That's the one that yeah, I am. Yeah. Right? And if so I that's am within one, the umbrella. Yeah. And, and some folks might call that demisexuality, right? That there's actually a label for that in the umbrella. Wow. People might talk about like aromanticism. So people who might not want a romantic relationship or romantic partnership or like a deep level commitment. Um, and so if this is sounding like, you know, 
interesting or in alignment with anyone, I would invite you to, you know, do a little bit of searching around asexuality and, you know, listen to folks describe their experiences because they might be narrating something that you might say like, oh, like that's me and there's nothing wrong with you, right? Sexuality is a spectrum. Yeah. Sex is a spectrum. I um, I found that a lot of the people messaging me were people where they were within that umbrella people who don't want to have sex at all they really just don't have a desire they don't enjoy it and what they were talking to me about was the fact that you know I think especially this is being highlighted during lockdown but they are afraid that that means that they are going to have to be alone and that is their fear Uh because asexual people are still they can still be people who want love and companionship and someone to live with and someone to, you know, they may even be asexual, but they may be a romantic person rather than aromantic at the same time. And so what advice do you have for someone out there who does not, who's just not interested in sex, they never have been, and they still want a partner? How do they communicate that to someone else and do you think they have to find someone else asexual? Where where do people where might someone be more likely to find someone like that? Have you have you experience with this? Not personally, yeah, I so just mean my my strongest, you know, suggestion for anyone who feels alone in any regard is to find community. Mm-hmm. And to find community because you're not you're not alone. You might be the only person you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might be the only person like in your zip code or your postal code, right? Your local area. Well, who's talking about it? Mean, right, right. But that doesn't actually mean that you are that you are the only one having that experience. I, I cannot reinforce that enough, right? That over and over and over again, I get messages from people, DMs from people, see people in my office who are like, I'm the only person who's going through that. And like, literally, it's, you know, not to, you know, diminish anything, but like it, a lot of what people bring in is literally textbook. Like there are literal textbooks <laughs> written about people's experiences. And so mm. I invite people to, to find communities, right? There are all sorts of forums. There are, the thing I love about social media is that it makes the world really small mm-hmm. um, in ways that can actually be really beautiful and really helpful. And so literally like hashtag, like asexuality, hashtag ace, right? That there are entire Reddit forums. There are entire Twitter pages. There are apps that are in development around just like platonic and romantic meet up and hook up spaces, right? And so just looking for other people who are like you, and I don't think that you default have to partner with someone whose sexuality is the exact same as yours, mm-hmm. but being able to own who you are will absolutely make it a lot easier as you are dating or connecting with people to feel out who is for you and who is not, mm-hmm. right? And and so as you get to know people and as you share people yourself with others, you'll learn what it is that might work for you. Maybe it's okay. I have a, you know, a committed romantic partnership and they seek sex elsewhere. Maybe we're both just not interested in sex. Maybe I'm cool to schedule sex like a certain number of times, right? It's not something, it's not something that I'm like, Ooh, I'm excited about, but like, I'm fine to do it right in these contexts. Maybe we're not a committed partnership, but we're like really good friends, right? But we're also like romantic with each other sometimes. There's so much nuance. There's so much nuance, but I think it really starts with first, who am I? What do I want? And can I just like own that and be clear with myself so that I can then share that with people so I have the experience of having people say yes to me. Compromise is always possible. I think communication is always just the most vital first step is just telling someone. How do you tell someone what you want, what you need, if you want something different to what is currently being 
served in the relationship. Because again, that's something that I cannot leave this episode without covering is that there are a lot of people who have been in long-term relationships and that desire is kind of waning. And, you know, they're just, they love their partner. They don't want to be with anyone else, but they just don't have that same pull. They went from shagging six times a day to suddenly just kind of not really being that interested in a month, two months, three months goes by. Mm -hmm. And you just don't, you don't feel an urge towards, and maybe you're starting to feel an urge towards other people. What do you, what do you do in that situation? Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's so many layers, so many layers. And any, any of these conversations could have been an entire podcast on their own. A hundred percent. We're going to need to do our own mini series together, I think. Um, But truly just like, let's just go for the most basic of that, which is how do you, how do you communicate to someone that perhaps you are not satisfied in the relationship? What would be your kind of, if you could give someone a rough template, a complete novice in telling someone what they want, what advice would you give to them how to introduce that, you know, sometimes tricky and delicate conversation? Yeah, I would invite it to be a check-in. Right? As you know, things have shifted for you, right? There might also be ways that things have shifted for the other person and they might also be in a similar place where like, I'm not sure how to bring this up or I'm not sure how to initiate this conversation. And so this can be a dialogue rather than just like, you know, a a disclosure, you know, and it doesn't have to be, you know, like, oh, I'm like confessing this like horrible, terrible thing. What we're actually doing is allowing our partners into our inner world, right? Remember when we were talking about it's so hard to be Mm -hmm. vulnerable. What most people want out of their relationships is intimacy, right? And intimacy is being allowed into somebody's innermost self. And so your partner wants to know this. They might not want the thing that you want, right? But they, it is actually important for them to know how it is that you feel. And so how you might go about doing that is, is just having a check-in. Hey, can we, can we check in about our relationship? You know, I've noticed for myself that these are the sorts of things that I've been thinking, or these are the sorts of things that I am feeling. And so this isn't about like, you don't do anymore or, you know, but just letting people know where you're at. And again, if you have a request, make the request, right? Mm-hmm. I would, I would love if we could explore, can we talk some more about, right? like, have you read anything about blah, blah, can we read more about it? Mm-hmm. Right? Like really letting it be an invitation and the other person doesn't necessarily need to decide in that moment. Cause it might be a big surprise to them, whatever it is that you might be sharing. Yeah. But, but just being able to check in with each other, sharing about what you're thinking or feeling, making a request if you have one, and then inviting the information from your partner. How have you been thinking about this? How have you been feeling about this? What's going on for you? 100%. I have so many friends who have been in long-term relationships who are considering leaving those long-term relationships. Um, also, I... <laughs> don't be worried if you're listening to this. I don't think any of them listen to my podcast, but it might not necessarily be your relationship. But I know that a lot of them are in long-term relationships where they, they are considering leaving because they would rather do that than hurt the person's feelings by saying that they are no longer feeling this or wanting this. And I always give the advice of, I think that is so much more of a disservice to avoid that one awkward or potentially slightly hurtful to the ego conversation. You're giving up on them without giving them the opportunity to respond. 
And yeah. I think that if there is something there that you think is worth fighting for, I always think it's better to just go in and have the initial hard conversation. Then also both of you be, A, they'll never know why you really left. But B, you will always potentially be haunted with what if. What if I just said yeah. something? What if I just told them how I felt? What could we have built together? What could we have negotiated yeah. around? What could we have opened up to ourselves? Did I just give up yeah. on something good because I was too scared to have that one difficult conversation? That one difficult conversation is so much easier than years of what if. So definitely please. Yeah. And also um, before you go, because I've taken so much of your time and I know this is a long episode, but it fucking had to be. <laughs> We're going to need to have Shadeen <laughs> back. Um, but uh, the BDSM community, mm. who I used to be very fearful of because I was very judgmental and ignorant, um, and via doing a documentary learned that they have some of the most interesting and eloquent and just sort of helpful approaches towards sex and differences and consent that I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. You know, I always thought of it just as just pain and humiliation, mm -hmm. but really breaking down how the BDSN community works might be helpful for other people out there, which is that, you know, for example, with online dating, and I'm not necessarily saying you have to explicitly do this, but people who are out and proud within the BDSM community send each other a menu early on within interact interacting with each other online of what they like sexually. And the other person will send them a menu back. And if they look at those menus together and they don't correlate, then they don't fucking bother meeting up. And mm -hmm. there, there you go. Wonderful. They've had a nice, easy exchange. They've said what they like. They've been, they've kind of taken control of their autonomy and been integral to themselves. And then they haven't had to go through the fumbling, oh, I'm too scared to say what I like. So I'm just going to keep trying to like push the boundary and hope that that person, this completely different individual likes the same exact thing in that exact same moment. Uh, we have got to stop looking at talking about sex as draining it of all spontaneity. Because I feel like that's sometimes where the damage comes in is in the mm -hmm. unspoken. So I've definitely, for, after learning that, been way more like, I have my little menu of sex. I didn't even know what my menu of sex was before I had that conversation because I, my menu of yeah. sex was always whatever they want. That was my whole yeah. menu. Was, I'll just do whatever they're in the mood for and then they'll think that I'm a good shag and then they'll stay. And now... Yeah, and that's so unexciting. So unexciting. And so now I've actually, and they, and they can feel a lack of connection when you're not like 100% into it. So I now have that. Just go and make that menu of sex for yourself. That could be your first step maybe. Mm -hmm. And figure out exactly yeah, what you want. And if that feels really daunting, um, you can look up yes, no, maybe lists, right? Oh, which, yeah. which are like the menu. Um, you can absolutely Google those. There's so many really great ones. My friends at Afro Sexology make one. Um, the sex educator Bex Caputo makes a really, really lovely, thorough one. I can um, link to some of those when this episode airs. So you can yeah. give me those resources. Um, maybe you and your partner or your thruple or your quadruple, <laughs> maybe you can all, yeah. whatever kind of relationship you're in, maybe you could, you know, in this kind of like sit down chat about what you both want, maybe you can both fill one of those in beforehand and sit down and kind of make an evening of it, get some wine, have some pizza and go through it. And remember <laughs> that you are friends first. Right. But really like, how do we negotiate that so that we, if we are going to do this together, if we're going to share this mm -hmm. experience together, how do we make sure that we're both satisfied yeah that's what that's what that's what we want out of sex we I want to leave agree. satisfied i have plenty of friends who uh bring bring a vibrator to the day 
and don't yeah. feel ashamed of it and shouldn't feel ashamed shouldn't. of it because they don't re- they don't reach orgasm in a penetrative situation or maybe even with a partner or with just hands it takes a certain device to be able to do that and it took them a while to get into it and finally they were just like okay here it is and the other person was so relieved they were so yeah. relieved they was like oh, great because after an hour and a half my hand is about to fall off and I was worried that I was just never going to be able to please you how yeah, fantastic that out. there's now a fun shortcut where we can now both yeah. guarantee that everyone leaves happier everyone than when they came in. Yeah. And, yeah. I don't uh, want to name for people with, for people with vulvas, um, that most people are not going to orgasm from penetration alone. Mm-hmm. Um, so even if it feels great and even if you're like, cool, I'm done now, you might not orgasm. And that's just anatomy. That's not like there's something wrong with me or I'm broken. It's actually over two thirds, um, of people with vulvas who do not uh, orgasm from penetrative sex alone. Wow. Right? So just, just to normalize that, because that's education people don't get. Did not know people it was two get. thirds of people. That's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. So many yeah, people yeah. messaged me about that being like, is there something wrong with me that I can't receive orgasm during, I can't reach orgasm during, uh, during sex, penetrative yeah, sex. Yeah, it's that, it's, it's that penetrative sex is not the thing that gets most vulvas to orgasm. Right. And so notice the branding of sex. Right. So sex is penetrative and it's a thing that most people with vulvas don't orgasm from. Like, think about who that serves and why there's not more education around that. Right. Mm -hmm. So when I said, like, get to know yourself, communicate with each other, but then we have to address the systems because people don't know that. That would be a really helpful thing for people to know so that no matter who it is, if anyone is having sex with or on a vulva, like that, you know, like what to expect and that you don't put unnecessary pressure or expectations on anybody. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's great. Again, so many people are so worried, like people, I think the people from every gender or who do not subscribe to a gender, uh, who were telling me that they have sometimes maybe never been able to reach orgasm during penetration or even with their hands. Um, and and were worried that there's something wrong with them or that they never would be able to. I think it's important to not set up too many rules for yourself or for your body and to accept that it's going to work the way it's going to work. And thankfully, yeah. we live in a time where there are there is the internet and on that internet, on that mysterious World Wide Web, we can find different things that are made to meet our needs because so many people have those same needs. Yeah, yeah, we put so much pressure on orgasm. Orgasm in a sexual experience, like if we're just saying like, oh, we each get one, right? You're looking at anywhere from like five to 48 seconds on average. Right? And if we're supposed to be having sex for like hours and hours, like the ratio of time we spent like focusing on like less than a minute, like it's just, it's just very, it's very absurd. Yeah, It's very absurd. We watched an entire movie for this literal like, Instagram clip, <laughs> like preview moment. Like yeah. we watched the whole movie for this one little moment. Like if we were to think about that, that it it just doesn't make a ton of sense. Right? Nah. Like, did did I enjoy the rest of it? Are we having a good time most of the time? Right. That yeah, orgasms are cool. Don't get me wrong, I like them. Right? And <laughs> right, if the more pressure you put on this one little thing, right? I'm Caribbean, so the phrase is like a watched pot doesn't boil, mm-hmm. right? Like the more pressure I would you say put a on watched this cock thing, doesn't boil, which is really gross <laughs> and doesn't make yeah, any sense. Yeah, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think we want the no, cock to boil. No. If there's boils, we actually need to Agreed. take a step back, right? But you know, maybe we should watch it then. Keep, keep yeah, an eye on true. it. We don't, we don't want it to boil. Uh, don't boil, um, right? But just acknowledging that you know, the the more tension you put on this moment, the more yeah. stress 
that you put. And then we go back to the beginning thinking about like, oh, I'm not even in my body anymore. I'm too stressed to feel good. Right. But like just acknowledging sex is about this satisfactory experience overall, overall. So how am I being treated? How do I feel? Right. Does this feel good on my body? Does this feel good for my brain or my heart or my spirit or whatever you're connected to? And if that happens to lead to an orgasm, super cool. And you can learn more about your body and figure out like, okay, like what are the places that feel the best? So I might have one of these sort of peak moments, but to know that like literally it's probably going to be like 28 seconds long. And so like, yeah, it's, it's really fun. Right. And, and it's cool. But like, it doesn't have to be the entire point of the whole experience. And if that hasn't happened for you at all, or doesn't happen for you often, or you have to work really hard for it, that doesn't make you abnormal or broken. Right. It's a, it's a very, very small piece of our very big lives. True. So well put. Oh, You've been so great. You've already made me feel so much better about so many things. So I can imagine you've you've helped the many people who wrote in looking for your guidance. Um, I will, I will of course be highlighting Shadeen's work and show you where to find her. She's one of my favorite people in the whole wide world and who I feel so grateful to have met this year and look forward to knowing for a long time. Before you go, Shadeen, will you please mm. tell me, what do you weigh? I weigh... Peace and pleasure. I, I weigh just a, a call towards helping people really trust in themselves and be able to live lives that feel good. That feel good. Lovely. Well, um, I weigh this wonderful conversation. Thank you so much. And I took up so much of your time thank you for that uh, we covered so much and we will figure out a time to do this again you've been a joy thank you so much for listening to this week's episode I Weigh with Jamila Jamil is produced and researched by myself Jamila Jamil Erin Finnegan and Kimmy Gregory it is edited by Andrew Carson and the beautiful music that you're hearing now is made by my boyfriend James Blake if you haven't already please rate review and subscribe to the show it's a great way to show your support I really appreciate it and it amps me up to bring on better and better guests Lastly, at iWay, we would love to hear from you and share what you weigh at the end of this podcast. You can leave us a voicemail at 1-818-660-5543 or email us what you weigh at iWayPodcast at gmail.com. It's not in pounds and kilos, so please don't send that. It's all about your just, you, you know, you've been on the Instagram. Anyway, and now we would love to pass the mic to one of our listeners. From one of our listeners, they say... I weigh my radical lack of religion and intense depth of spirituality. I weigh my courage to live well. I weigh my beautiful, powerful journey of motherhood and womanhood. I weigh strength and softness and blackness and freedom. Above all, I weigh peace. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem 
our date.